is the Light and Life podcast, and I'm your host, Brett Heinzman. In this special series of podcasts, we are interviewing all of the Bishop nominees for the General Conference Election 2023. Today, my guest is Bishop Linda Adams. So let's begin. Welcome today to the Light and Life podcast. I'm Brett Heinzman, and joining me today is Bishop Linda Adams, who is one of our Bishop nominees for General Conference 2023. As you know, we are asking all of our Bishop nominees the same questions, and so as you're listening to the podcast, be sure to catch the responses from all the nominees. If you want to follow along, you can visit us at gc23.org nominees, where you will find their video interviews as well as their podcast interviews and resumes. So Bishop Linda, thank you for joining me today. appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for giving me the time. It's wonderful. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and jump right in with our very first question. There's seven questions in total. And the first one is this. What excites you about the thought of being reelected as a bishop? What excites me is the chance to see the FMC USA become a movement again. Uh, the Lord has given us a passion for igniting a spirit field movement, and I'd love to serve for a second term to see that become a reality. Several of the annual conferences in my region have been in a period of slow decline for a long time, but are finally seeing glimpses of new life and greater vision for reaching out, incorporating new people, even people who are different from themselves, serving their communities and partnering strong with the global church. My hope is that our churches would all get further along the road that starts with ideas and blossoms into actions. It takes time. Giving myself to this work for another term excites me. And I have to say that continuing with a church in Latin America also excites me. It takes a few years to establish relationships, and since we only see each other in person once in a great while, not even once a year, I'd love the chance to come alongside them as they work with a laser focus on the united vision of partnering with God for the transformation of Latin America. Together, we are living out New Testament values and strategies, and that's exciting. Amen. Great, great response. Thank you so much for that. On the flip side of what excites us, what do you view as believing is our greatest challenge as a denomination at the present, and how would you lead through it? Yeah. Well, among many, let's think. I'll consider the U.S. church in my response. The answer would be different for the global church. Here at home, the Free Methodist Church, like most other denominations, has been gradually assimilated into our wider culture, which at this point is toxically divided and hostile. I believe the Lord is calling us back to himself, to our first love, to worship authentically, to become the beloved community of oneness, to rise above the culture wars so we regain sight of the mission of God for the salvation of the world. This salvation is not just getting people to pray the sinner's prayer, but to live kingdom values, to be transformed by the Spirit, so we are agents and heralds of the good news, the whole good news. I often read the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation and ask myself, how have we become like this church? Mm. Are we dead? Are we dead like Sardis or lukewarm like Laodicea? Have we lost our first love like Ephesus? How would I lead through it? By preaching, writing, influencing the influencers, serving alongside our national leaders to call us to repentance and faith and holiness. Jesus has promised to build his church. I want to be so aligned with him, abiding in him and bearing fruit, that I can be a part of a wonderful new spirit-fueled movement in the FMC. 
Mm, well said. And when it comes to challenges, I think about our third question, and one of our greatest societal challenges is that of sexual orientation and identity. So there are a couple questions related to this. The first is, do you fully align with our traditional sexual ethic, believing that marriage and sexual union are reserved for one man and one woman? And then secondly, how do we learn to love our neighbor better, regardless of sexual orientation, and yet minister the truth of the gospel? Well, to your first question, the answer is just yes, full stop. I do. I align with our position because I believe it's the biblical one. It's required by the, the Bible, and I've done a lot of study on it, and uh, I'm, I'm convinced. So I guess that wasn't full stop. I added a couple of sentences. <laughs> um, for the second half, though, yeah. Thanks for also asking the second question because it is a huge part of how we need to face our own cultural moment. Probably every one of us now has family members and friends who experience same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria. Ministering in our churches should have the same tone of genuine love that we experience with our own loved ones. We esteem them as persons. We recognize their gifts and God-given abilities. We delight in them as created in the image of God. Yet, when the conversation allows, we don't hide from them our confidence that the God who made us, who knows us best and loves us most, only requires what is good for us when it comes to sexual expression. Every situation is unique because every person is at a unique place in their journey. Pastoral care means listening well, doing our best to understand things that are outside our experience, and pointing each and every person to the grace of God that is sufficient for everything. We minister the truth of the gospel by living into God's call to holiness for ourselves and helping others to embrace and follow that call and live obedient lives. Amen. So thinking about your own personal leadership for a moment, what has been one of your personal leadership challenges and how did you lead through it? Yeah, this question takes me back to my 11 years at International Child Care Ministries. So as director of that, I came into a situation where um, technology was giving us new opportunities to communicate more readily around the world. My predecessor, Ann Van Balen, tells me that she danced a jig when around the world they started to get fax machines. <laughs> so we were finally into a situation where uh, emails could be could be flying all over the world back and forth. And so I could have more communication with the 33 country leaders, um, but it became pretty clear that the organization needed a whole uh, kind of middle layer of regional coordinators. Um, there was just one and she was just called a facilitator for Southeast Asia when I began. But when you have people on several continents with multiple cultures and you really want them to be um, to be led in a in a culturally appropriate way. And also there has to be accountability for the money we send and the requirements of the program. These are sponsored children and we have to hear, uh, we have to hear from them with letters. We have to see photo updates, partly as a way of proving that the children are benefiting in the way that we say we are, uh, we are providing for them. So anyway, on a limited budget, I had to figure out how to establish um, regional, regional coordinators and create a council out of them. 
And so over my 11 years there, just one by one, and each with a different sort of financial model to make it work, um, the Lord was able to bring to me uh, seven different people, most of them from the, you know, citizens of the countries where we were serving, and, um, and take advantage of their unique gifting and cultural knowledge for their region of the world. So we have Stella Bokhari, and she's South Asia, which is India and several other countries nearby. Um, Belle Villanueva, who is in Southeast Asia. We have Nnedi Dingili in Africa. We have Ray Babcock, who has great heart for Brazil and is in the U.S. now, but has been a missionary to Brazil. Kay Stotts Godoy. And since, uh, since Alma Thompson has taken over, when I became a bishop, she became the director, and she's been able to expand that and really lean into regular Zoom meetings to build the, the unity of the group and to rely on the group's wisdom for solving mutual problems and you know best practices from one region to another and all of that. So I just am so grateful that I... Um, kind of inherited a flat organization where I was, you know, I had like 30 direct reports around the world besides the one in the office, the 10 in the office. And uh, we were able to give it a more robust leadership um, structure or mechanism that brought to, uh, brought to bear wonderful cross-cultural leadership gifts of women and men who care about children in each of those countries and could do a far better job than I could sitting in my office in Indianapolis at solving problems and discovering issues and getting to the bottom of things and even casting vision for the best way to serve. So anyhow, that was a big part of my leadership challenge at ICCM that I feel a really um, a great smile of satisfaction about. Great, I can see why that's a beautifully said. Um, as you look at the Free Methodist Church and our future, what do you see on the horizon for us as a preferred future for what God has for us? Mm -hmm. Smiling again. <laughs> I see a church united around following Jesus, the Lord of the church. In our denominational family, that includes aligning with the values of the Free Methodist way. I can imagine recovering our passion and experience of life-giving holiness. I can imagine finding 21st century embodiments of love-driven justice that are just as important as our founders' embodiments of that value. I can imagine, and I'm already starting to get glimpses of it, seeing exponential supernatural growth in ministries and new churches being planted through Christ-compelled multiplication. Um, the Great Commission is still in effect. And then loving one another across racial and ethnic walls as a powerful expression of cross-cultural collaboration. And finally, deepening our commitment to knowing and loving and teaching the Bible, the precious and eternal God-given revelation. I also have to include a much greater sense of interdependency with the global Free Methodist family. My time at ICCM allowed me to get to know our brothers and sisters in 40 of the 100 countries that Free Methodist World Mission serves. And I'm so enriched by knowing and learning from them. Their contribution to the U.S. church is already amazing, but I want to see it expand dramatically. Technology is allowing us to connect more broadly and deeply with things like global prayer meetings on Zoom. I want the boundaries between us and them to disappear. Mm. 
Amen. Beautifully said. Well, has has the Lord given you through this season any visions, dreams, or words regarding your call to say yes to being reconsidered uh, for this role and potentially reelected and for the church in general? And what are they and how are you interpreting them? That's an interesting question. Uh, at several really key um, decisive points along my journey, the, the Lord has spoken to me in that sort of way, um, visions and dreams and words. This time, it's been more of a um, prayerful, reflective, deliberative process. So um, 25 years ago, James Earl Massey wrote a book called The Burdensome Joy of Preaching. Every time I've taught a preaching course, which is about 15 times, I discuss this phrase with my students, the burdensome joy of preaching. For the last few months, I've thought through what comes to mind as the burdensome joy of being a bishop. On the one hand, I have to admit that four years of a demanding travel pace and a heavy weight of responsibility have been challenging. There is an undeniable burden. On the other hand, even so, it's a joy. I love the Lord. I love his church. I love the Free Methodist Church especially, and my brothers and sisters at every level of the organization. When I've brought my concerns to the Lord, he has reassured me that he can help me to live as a bishop at a healthy pace, guard my Sabbaths, discover better margins and play, and model healthy leadership to others. And so it's come partly from... You know, the body of Christ, I was discussing this just a few weeks ago with someone who pointed out to me that um, it's not a good witness to all those who are following me to say, well, I did it for four years and I fried myself. I'm just burned out. Can't do it again. So he just said, you know, the best witness is to say, I will have grace for the journey. If I need to take a sabbatical, which I haven't for decades, maybe I need three months to recharge batteries and restore. Um, and I need, and, and actually, frankly, Bishop Keith and Bishop Matt and I um, have covenanted with each other that we would not get to a, to a place where we were just overly busy and traveling too much. And, uh, you know, during COVID, when we were slowed down for about 18 months, we said, oh, this is so much more sane. Let's do this. But the truth is that with all the responsibilities we have in the geographical regions that we have oversight of, you know, we end up um, falling back into patterns that are pretty um, overwhelming. Not, not, that, not even overwhelming. We all love it. It's just that it might not be healthy for our bodies. You know, going to the airport at 430 in the morning is not exactly what you think of as glamorous travel. <laughs> it's just, it's hard work. It's stuff slogging sometimes. And yet, it's a, it's a joyful burden. It's a burdensome joy. And I actually like the way that James Earl Massey put that in the book because he doesn't say it's a joyful burden so that the primary noun is the burden. He says the primary noun is the joy. But yes, there's a cost to preaching well. There's preparation. There's our own souls being ready. There's um, prayer for anointing. There is the challenge of speaking rightly to your audience. These days, there's the challenge of knowing that whatever you say when you preach is not just for the people in the room, but it gets uploaded onto the internet and somebody else will see it and disagree with it. 
you know, those things can be a bit of a burden, but overarching is the, the pleasure of saying, you know, I have offered myself to you, Lord, and I'm available for your good pleasure. Um, do with me what you will. And, and from the very beginning, uh, early on in my calling, I, I was drawn to Mary's words. I've shared this a lot. You know, when Gabriel came to her and had this astonishing call, she said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be done to me according to your word. And I still stay in that posture. And that's just um, become the way I face every single decision. Lord, I'm your servant. Let me serve according to your word. Amen. Thank you. That's a really wonderful response. In closing today, our final question has to do without or just about anything else that might be in your heart. Is there anything else in your heart and mind about the FMC that you'd like to share with our family? Well, I think I'll just say that there are so many things that have happened in the last four years that have been um, great unexpected benefits and blessings. You know, the Lord has brought us several wonderful evangelistic United Methodist churches that have joined our family. And I just want to be open arms when the right ones come. We don't want a, a flood, but a steady trickle is a beautiful thing. And we've gotten to know some um, people for whom, you know, the cause of Christ is very much causing common cause. And Wesleyan and Free Methodist values fit very well with these churches who have joined us. And that's all great. And then just another thing, I just um, sense that these past four years have been such a time of turmoil in our culture uh, between the pandemic and then um, the racial reckoning that came after George, George Floyd's murder and then um, all that happened through the 2020 election and people's response to it. I, I just I have a sadness in my heart that some of the water under the bridge has been unhelpful. And to lead through those times has not been easy. And I've seen that quite a few of our churches um, have suffered losses just because of this sort of perfect storm of several things. I think a lot of our pastors are exhausted. And um, so there are signs that we're turning a corner. Uh, I've seen on, on social media a lot of baptisms just in the last month. I would say Easter and since Easter. I'm used to seeing baptisms all the time from the global church, but it's pretty cool to be going online and seeing, you know, 11 baptized here, 16 over here. And, and so I guess what I want to say is that I'm trusting the Lord that spring is just about here. Now I'm in Michigan and it's still about 40 degrees out, even though it's May and it shouldn't be, but maybe it's felt like a long winter for a lot of people and maybe a winter that has lasted year round for some years. And so my hope and prayer is that we are aligning much more deeply with the will of God for how we are to live in this world. And that involves several things, as I already mentioned in the Free Methodist way. Um, I know that our family is, is has concerns around the fact that we want to see a greater diversity of every type in our churches. Um, and, and that is a concern, and it's a hopeful thing. I believe that more and more people are, are getting their eyes opened to looking around their own communities and finding ways to cross over barriers and to welcome people 
into the kingdom of God and into the family of the Free Methodist Church. So I'm excited about that. And um, I'm just pretty excited to see what God will do at General Conference. I know that many of us are praying for a spirit-fueled movement, and we know that's not just centered around one event. It's um, it's going to go on for years. But um, we're excited to gather together in Orlando and see what new things God has for us. So thanks for giving us a chance to um, talk a little bit on these podcasts and get our information out there so that all the, the people who have a say in this will um, be well-informed and prayerful and be able to, to discern the Lord's will. So thank you. You're welcome. And thank you, Bishop Linda, for taking time to share your answers to these questions. I'll remind our listeners that if you go to gc23.org nominees, you can listen to their video interviews as well as these podcast interviews and read other information about our nominees. For all of us at Light and Life Communications, I'm Brett Heinzman, thanking you for joining me for the Light and Life podcast again. God bless you all. And for those of you that are coming, we will see you at General Conference.